0: like the number one asset in a business is its people. Mm -hmm. And I've adopted some of the flexible working approaches that Davina uses because I absolutely believe that if employees are, are happy and fulfilled, you get more from them if you manage them tightly to their 40 hour week.
1: It's a new year.
0: Welcome to 2022.
1: And we thought we'll start with doing something a little bit different so i'm gonna have not one but two amazing guests for you in this family affair i have one of the uk's most influential black people He's a tech ceo unicorn currently the ceo of forterra is a board member for the aclt as well as actively supporting a lot of other charity organizations and the chairman of the forbes family group i have mr dean forbes in the house and i also have the co-founder and director of six degrees talent which is a specialist talent agency that have been in the game for about 20 plus years, specializing in creative communications area, as well as the CEO of the Forbes family group, Mrs. Davina Williamson house. We chop it up about the power list, leadership, women in senior positions or the lack thereof, recruitment, mindset, inclusion, family. It's an action-packed, value-packed episode let's jump straight into it how are you doing Davina?
2: I'm good thank you
1: and I always like to go way back to understand the origins so I want to start with you actually how did you I guess go from studying what English, History, Spanish at A-levels to PR?
2: So as you say, I say I did study those A-levels and I had the aspirations to go to university but when it actually came to it, it, it wasn't something that was going to transpire for me for various reasons. And mainly because I wanted to go out and work and make money. And university seemed like a way to prolong that. <laughs> so, <laughs> when I was doing my A-levels, I was working like three, four jobs at that time. I nearly got kicked off the course because they found out I was basically working a full-time job mm. while doing these A-levels. So um I sort of went straight into sort of administrative roles. I worked in media agencies as PA, big media agencies. And I once walked into a recruitment agency and they were just like, You should work here. And at the time it was the environment was great. It was like a a office full of women. It recruited into digital media, advertising, publishing, all these amazing industries. And I'd spent a little bit of time in the city and I didn't feel it was the right environment for me. I mm-hmm. didn't want to have to conform to that environment. So, media industry in the late 90s, early noughties, was a lot more conducive an industry sector for who I was as a person. And recruitment suited me. I'm a people person. I love speaking, I love finding out <laughs> about people. <You'd> to- <laughs> I am a networker. I was. Um- <laughs> <laughs> he's going to tell a story. <laughs> I
1: want to hear the story. He's going to tell a
2: story. It was a really natural synergy for me. I love finding out about people, and for anthropologist at heart, basically. And even when I did, I studied a degree course while I was working later on, sort of mm. when in my mid to late twenties. You got that money planning Yeah, once I <laughs> <laughs> once I, I didn't have to compromise, so I actually did a part time degree in humanities and English because I love the concept of how the human psyche and civilizations are are developed and how we operate as humans so recruitment made sense to me I got to find out what made people tick what motivated them and I got to help them I've helped some amazing careers over the years you know I've seen people who were juniors straight out of uni and now they're MDs running big companies it's a really lovely feeling when I help people find their paths.
1: you sound like you go in deeper than the average recruiter tends to do then.
2: Yes. um, I believe in a holistic approach to recruitment. I've always said, if you do not enjoy what you do at work, you will not enjoy your life. Because Mm -hmm. work, just based on the way that we work in the West, is a huge part of your life, your week. You know, we technically work from Sunday evening when we start thinking about Monday morning, right through to Friday night when we, start winding down. So that's where our headspace is. And if you're not happy in that headspace, it's impossible to thrive in other areas of your life. And that's a a message that I've always given candidates. I say, look, there is no dream job. Nobody works in their dreams. But you have to find a way to find a sustainable way to live Mm -hmm. and to have the things that you want in life. And you need to ascertain what success looks like for you work is supposed to sustain us it's not supposed to be everything and that's my approach to recruitment both for my clients and my candidates i say to my clients you're not hiring a pr you're hiring a person so holistically how are you going to help develop this person to be the best employee that they can be in your business
1: wow i love that that much i don't think about even right now when you're looking at how people are changing and going through this whole great resignation that people are moving and that's one of the biggest things that's kind of come out of it has been People trying to find themselves, mm-hmm. not based on a career, but based on who they are individuals and then going into a career rather than what's always been the other way around all this time. It's your career first, your title first, and then you're not looking to yourself.
2: Yeah. And I find that actually, you know, the, there is also, you know, like you say, that, that element of person who says, oh, you know, I want to find a way that I am doing something I love personally through my career. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can have these two separate entities that work together and sustain each other. Like when my business partner, I have an amazing business partner, we've worked together for like 15 years. So when we set up Six Degrees Talent, we set it up because we wanted a lifestyle. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't with this kind of commercial fiscal drive because we came from a big agency that was just all about the numbers. And we wanted to have a really high level of service. But we also wanted to have a good life. Like we... Back when we started, we used to love going out for beers. Like at the end, at the end of most days, it wasn't a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it's the wine, of Rebecca. Yeah, no, My partner, my business partner John and I, like, we both knew we were both um, recently married. We knew that we wanted to start families. He wanted to be a really involved dad. He was like, I could have worked in the city and whatever. So it wasn't for him. So, I've worked a four day a week since I was like twenty nine and that was the whole point i could make more money quote-unquote working for somebody but my quality of life is huge Mm -hmm. the you know i'm a working mother i'm a wife i'm a daughter i have so many other roles so work doesn't define how i live and that's a very hard thing to find unless you embrace the fact that you have to think holistically Mm -hmm. when you're looking at your career
1: that's so true (laughs) I think that uh, actually leads perfectly into you, doing in your history, because your thing was football. And that was the idea that you had in your head. Right, And leading to what um were just talking about, you had to kind of change your approach and how things were going to go for you. And how was that process for you, going from football's all the, the way I'm going to get out of the ends, mm-hmm. to reframing your future when you got that? I guess it was the agent that told you that. You need to do something different going forward. I think that was one of the
0: hardest transitions in my life just dealing with that emotionally and socially because i always talk about like growing up in that football environment and what actually happened reflecting on it now as an adult is my kind of identity got snatched away from me right because i defined myself as being part of that football group and one of the lads and we all trained and we all socialized so i kind of lost my identity for a minute and had to figure out who i wanted to be you know i wasn't going to be that person anymore i had to figure out who i wanted to be and I wasn't very thoughtful about it. You know, I was fortunate to be in sufficient debt that I just had to kind of take the first job that became available. And yeah, you know, over time and the competitiveness, yeah, that's what's defined my later career. But at the time, it was a bit of survival and a bit of, I need to redefine myself now. Coming from the backgrounds that we coming from,
1: especially coming from, from South, where, where you were, and where you were raised, still viewing the world as like, and to get out and to make money and it's a start style career
0: it's not easy to change your mindset with looking at things it's the way you put the mindset to good use right so i don't think my mindset changed like my i always had a mindset of wanting to be the best like wanting to be understood as good right i always wanted people to look at me and say oh, he re- he's really good or he really knows what he's doing so at the time it was football the mindset was manifesting itself through football i wanted to be the best football i wanted to be the best among my peer group. I wanted to be the one who got the longest pro contract for the most money in a positive competitive way. And that mindset hasn't changed at all, right? It just had to kind of pivot and be aimed at something else because in business, I'm exactly the same way. And the trick was not to let that get distorted. And I say all the time when we talk about people from our old area who may have, you know, gone down the wrong path, I always talk to them about some of the qualities it takes to be involved in that tragic and unfortunate and incorrect lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Some of the qualities it takes to do that are very powerful qualities to apply and in aim in business. Yep. Right. So I don't know that it's a mindset. I think it's just like where you aim it and how it manifests. And when you talk about being one of the best, you're powerless. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> you've definitely taken that and you've become one of the best, and one of the most influential black people in the UK. And what does that mean to someone like yourself being on the power list and having that influence and people, your peers
0: and other people looking at you like, wow, you've made it. It's very humbling. It's very, very humbling. But the funny thing about that, and I was talking about this in an interview the other day, I was saying that I was anti those lists for many years, right? So growing up and my career was progressing and good things were happening. And I'd get these invitations to, you know, these awards or people would call and say, oh, you've been named the best black. This or the most progressive black that and I always used to say like number one I don't want to be defined by my race I like don't put me in a list or a category or award me wearing my skin colors first because I want you to look at me and go he's just good and the people I compete with at work are more often than not not black right so being the best black tech CEO in some respects is kind of not meaningless but it, it doesn't mean as much to me as being the best tech CEO. Right, so I, I kind of i was against those lists for that reason I, w- I really wanted to be viewed and kind of regarded on my merit and merit alone and then i got nominated onto the power list and i thought that's pretty amazing and then something really important happened i showed the power list to my kids and this like switched a light bulb on for me and they went through that list and i watched it dawn on them that they could actually do anything they wanted to do if they put their mind to it because they saw people in cosmetics my doors used that lady's products and I'm like, oh my god I didn't realize she was black they saw senior people at British Telecom and my son was saying I didn't realize people you know that was a job and I could be interested in that mm. and it just opened their horizons and it triggered what representation is actually really about and it was at that moment I kind of you know became really 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 I was proud before but then I became really 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 proud and I started to understand like how much good we can do if we become more uh, more visible.
1: There's always this debate about, should we have a list at all? Why should we have a list? And why should be a blacklist? Or, or all those kind of things. And I think our children coming up and seeing people at those levels right. Right, is very, very inspiring for them. Right. But then speaking of kids, you're CEO right now. You're running your own business as well as being a CEO. How do you balance parenting, business family we have different approaches (laughs) 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 Dean and I
2: we talk all the time and lots of we've always got lots of things going on both personally and professionally and today for a great example coming here and he was like oh you know afterwards I think I might go to the office and do this afterwards and I was like Yeah, no, i got to go home and do a school run. (laughs) i got got to do dinner before we go to the other thing we've got on today. And it's just, you know, I've got an amazing husband and a great support system, but he works as well. And such is the nature of society in many ways that these things fall to the mother. So balance is, is interesting. And again, going back to what I said before, when I set up my business, it was knowing that I had the intent to be a mother. And I'd worked for years in the media industry and, and around in recruitment and media and seen mothers struggle to maintain careers and their families. I'd seen how unsupportive businesses have been to that. I've seen women's amazing careers be derailed or, you know, stall. Because of the choices they make to start a family. And it was something I was not going to let happen to myself. So I took myself to a place where I could manage it efficiently. I'm not saying I do, um, <laughs> but I feel like I've got a good balance. And
0: she's very good. She's, she's I very have good.
2: a tradition, I'm quite a traditionalist. We have dinner around the table every day, you know, my husband and my children and I, and I'm there for everything that needs to be there. And my children know that my laptop is around all the time and they shouldn't touch. I'm always kind of working as well. But I have that time where I switch off and this is our family time and we are doing this. And it's important. It's difficult. You know, it's about the support structure. But within that support structure, we have different challenges, you
0: know. You shouldn't read this as I mean Davina's fiercely competitive, like a very (laughs) strong businesswoman, (laughs) an incredible entrepreneur, right? So sometimes you kind of hear this narrative of balance in life and opting for good work-life balance and misinterpret as being any less ambitious like that's not <laughs> just to be clear that like that isn't what you're that isn't what, what we're seeing you see an incredible ability to balance these things i'm not as good as davina is at balancing i have to manage through extreme discipline of saying sunday you know 12 until six i'm not going to work and i have to have that blocked in my calendar and on Wednesday when my son's playing football, I have to have that blocked in my calendar to go and do that. I don't balance naturally. Like if left to my own devices, I probably would just work, you know, continuously and starve and end up divorced and a terrible parent because I'd I'd probably forget to do all of those things. I'd just focus on work. So my mechanism is my diary. I have to have things put into my diary so I'll spend time with them, which isn't something I'm proud of. But it's just the truth
2: you have the luxury of structure (laughs) I have to be structured my my two-year-old just throws my diary out the window (laughs) she just wakes up and decides like oh you had a meeting this morning yeah no (laughs) here's some Weetabix on your top (laughs) but yeah I mean we all have challenges and I think it is just about how you manage what's important you know obviously running my businesses my, my business and sustaining my family is important but actually being there for my family is equally important and prioritizing is something I think we
1: all kind of struggle with. But I'm just listen to what you just said, it sounds like from day dot you've been very intentional about even with a four day a week 100%. and all of that and creating your business. Yes. Yeah. And be like, okay, hey, we're doing this, we're creating this business for one of that reasons. I've seen what happens in, in the city and I want to do something different. Mm-hmm. How was that journey creating a business from scratch for you?
2: It was, it's fun. I mean, it's been fun. It's been hard. There was a, uh, my business partner and I referred to as squeaky bum time, where it just.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I know them times. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it could be going so well. You have a great year and you're like, yeah, next year's going to look like this. And next year comes. It's like, yeah, it doesn't look like that. COVID. Exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, this is it. The COVID is, it's, I mean, we've. I feel like I've had like three COVIDs because we started just post the 2008 recession. Then there was that blip in 2012 where it all kind of (laughs) got a bit um, peaking. And and when you're a small business owner, you are at the front line of those things happening. You don't have a buffer of a a big company dealing with all the problems that are going to, you know, affect your business. And even things like GDPR, like you say to some people, they're like, what's that thing? And for us, it was just like, oh, my God, we're a recruitment business. This is huge. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, we've got to read all this legislation and, and know what's going on. So I think when you're a small business owner you have to be robust you know you have to be able to pivot really quickly uh, we were very intentional about how we set up the business for example you know we didn't go for fancy offices and things like that we created a, a sustainable way to work so that even our staff have the same privilege and luxuries that we do they all work from home we worked from home long before covid from sure. day one effectively we had workspace offices before it was popular out of hotel spaces we allowed our staff to have you know work there four day a week however you want to work you know we, we're we very much when you're a small business owner you don't work you don't eat so that energy is kind of what we give our staff and by having less overheads we were able to give much higher commissions than our competitors and things like that you know and i think that's the mindset it is about just knowing not what the end goal is but what the reward needs to be Mm. for you to be satisfied for you to be successful for you to be happy
1: Mm. not what it looks like externally necessarily Do the rest of your team also get four days
2: they work flexibly as they need like some want to work full time for their full salary I mean it's on a pro rata but you know some work three days we've got working months so and they can go up you know if it's busy and they've got more childcare they can say actually I can work four days now or actually this is not working for me so and that's the flexibility we have because we're intentional about that being the main point of our business you know if people are happy they'll work hard and they'll make money it's that, that simple, simple. <laughs> it really is like i wish it was like this really like recipe to success but you know any leader knows that in you know, it doesn't matter what your business is your people are your biggest asset and lack of investment in people and that's not just financial investment actually caring about what it is it that's going to motivate inspire them is the differentiator
1: between success and not so how do you find that dean because you go from you've worked in different companies especially when you're coming in one of the biggest things you have to deal with when you're coming into a new organization is the people
0: Mm -hmm.
1: how do you deal with dealing with People who can sometimes see you as this person just coming and we don't necessarily like you or right.
0: <laughs> we know much about you. There's always some hostility that can be there as well. Yeah, one of the things that makes that hardest is I normally take over from a founder, right? It's most common that I'm the, you know, professional CEO that replaces somebody who started the business. So what I find more often than not is the culture of that business is built in the founder's identity. Mm-hmm. And people for some of the reasons that ben is describing have an incredible affinity to that. Individual, right? That person has paid them, looked after them, taken care of them, been very kind of uh, thoughtful towards them. So when I show up, it's not just like a, a professional change. It's it's you know it's like a, a change of parent almost, or worse. Sometimes it's probably one of, if not the hardest part of the job managing that transition. You can't trash what the person behind yep. you did because you'll lose staff who were part of those ideas and those strategies, right? So you can't write that off on day one. You can't be too aggressive in setting the new direction because that is just a positive way to say the past was bad. So you have to be quite thoughtful about how you manage that transition. And it's easily the thing in the first hundred days I spend the most time thinking about and trying to like finesse and get it right. And I've used different things in different scenarios. I mean, I took over at one company where I would say for the first three or four weeks, staff wouldn't meet with me. <laughs> so you'd set meetings to talk about something and they, and they wouldn't turn up, or they'd turn up, you know, two hours after the meet as, oh, I forgot and had to deal with all of that nonsense because they were rejecting the change. So mm-hmm. it's easily a thing I'm super, super thoughtful and deliberate about. So that kind of scenario, how'd you handle it? What I've learned over time, and at the beginning, I think it was m- maybe a little bit natural, but over time, I've seen it enough times that I know that I'm more deliberate about it. But you kind of have to take the measure of that, the tone of the organization. So in that particular situation, people were aggressively hostile. They really didn't want it to happen. In a more recent example, there was more an undertone of that, right? So people weren't as um, direct about it. And they would turn up to the meetings and they'd agree and then they'd go away and kind of not do what we agreed we were <laughs> going to do, right? In the recent example, in that example, they weren't turned up for the meetings. And if you gave them instructions, they told you we're not going to do them, right? They were very aggressive about it. So you have to take the tone because in this situation, we fix that with like public expressions of the repercussions for that behavior, like very public expression. So people who did that lost their jobs, people who didn't carry out the agreed instructions, you know, there were consequences. So we had to educate that organization that there are, that this isn't the way we behave. And there were consequences for this type of hostile, aggressive behavior. And that had to be visible. And once people saw that, they stayed and, you know, participated or they left because I didn't want to be part of that. In the more recent, you know, example, it's more subtle. So it takes longer to see, but when you do see it, you have to have direct conversations with people and say, we had that meeting and we agreed these things and then you didn't do it. Then we spoke again and you didn't do it. Then we spoke again. Like what, you know, what is the problem here? Cause you're clearly a smart guy, right? So well, not you in particular, but you know, you're clearly a smart person. And I don't know if you want me to believe that we can agree. You're going to do something three times in a row and you just not do it. Is that, You end up having those kind of conversations where two days later, it probably dawns on the person that, yeah, I'm probably going to have to change the way I behave. It's different, but it it presents itself differently. But it's kind of a, a similar thought process, which I understand. I understand where it comes from.
2: I know what we've talked about with your companies you've taken over. You are very much people first. You always look at the actual infrastructure and the people. You make a point, like you say, of meeting everybody and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And that doesn't often happen at your level. <laughs> no, Remember yeah. Remember CEOs? Where, it doesn't they, they, work with
1: CEOs it, and does it doesn't at all.
2: Right. You know, so, and I know that's something that Dean has done. You know, he seeks out not just the senior management, but also the people yeah. supporting them. And I think that that's exactly why, you know, another element as to why you've been so successful. Because we, when you engage people at every level.
0: We agree on that. Like The number one asset in a business is it's people. Mm. And I've adopted some of the flexible working approaches that Davina uses because I absolutely believe that if employees are are happy and fulfilled, you get more from them if you manage them tightly to their 40-hour week, right? So we share that philosophy of flexibility, you know, freedom, when people say they need a day off or they need to go do something. I want my organizations to be very accommodating of that on the premise that You know, they'll pick that piece of work up on a Saturday morning or, you know, Sunday afternoon. So I get much more discretionary effort, you know, from my teams, I think because of that approach. And almost over-rewarding and compensating people when things go well for the business. I make sure that a lot of employees have as much participation in that as possible.
2: CEOs like you don't make me money as a recruiter. (laughs) (laughs) Your high retention is not good for me. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, this is it. There are some companies it's impossible to headhunt people from because they're looked after. Hmm. And the, the, the job can be the same somewhere else, but the people they work for are what you can't change. So once people disengage emotionally with their company, with their CEO with you know the brand they're right for the picking for me but you know
1: that's the difference did you come across a lot of female CEOs?
2: not as many as i'd like i come across a lot of female mds it's like we're we're the doers not thinkers um (laughs) but no it's interesting actually especially given the nature of my industry sector in pr specifically 70 to 80 percent women but You know, the flip of that is the leadership positions are 70 to 80% men, like go figure. And it's the nature of when women reach that career trajectory, usually hits them at the same time where they're in their, the point where they're looking to start families. And that is the crossroads. I mean, this is the intersectionality of how women have slightly more challenges in the workplace. (laughs) Just to be, you know, that's been really, um, derivative about it there are huge challenges for women in the workplace but especially at the senior levels because if a man announces that he's you know his wife's pregnant nobody questions his capabilities availability you know sustainability for him to do that job however the minute that is announced you know a a female c8 the board are immediately having secret meetings i'm sure (laughs) about how things she will be managed and how much time she'll take off and you know all these things so i mean that's a vital issue you know we have to look at these things as to how we support and sustain women at senior levels there is a lot more now happening to do that but it's still an issue i mean i've had male CEOs say things like, you know, off the record, oh, you don't know she's having any more kids, do you, Dav? <laughs> just like, I can't answer that. <laughs> like, you know, I remember it's funny. I, one of my clients, this was a few years ago, he was CEO hiring an MD, fantastic candidate. And they wanted to offer the job. And she said to me off the record, she's like, I've got to pull out. And I said, why? She said, I've just found out I'm pregnant and I don't think it's fair to start a company obviously knowing that and so she said look just tell them it's not going to work out it's bad timing and I said no look this is who you are this is where you are how about I speak to the CEO because I knew him really well I said he's good people I'd rather have the conversation and let him know exactly what's happening and I had a chat with him and we talked about it and I said look the long-term benefit of this woman in your business is going to far outweigh the fact that she's going to take six months off during we negotiated and she took the job and she has taken that business to a different level during that time she started at five months pregnant she worked right through to nine months she had her baby she took six months off she came back and almost doubled that (coughs) business within the next two years for me that was a personal success story you know i made that happen and but to me also that ceo being progressive enough to understand the value of the talent of that person mm-hmm. outweighed the person's circumstance in the sense that her pregnancy was not a disadvantage.
0: And it's such a false economy sometimes of leaders to punish like women in this context yeah. in that way, right? Because I, I would be willing to bet that the commitment and energy that she had because she was given the job, given the opportunity in those circumstances where otherwise she may not have and giving the job was part of the discretionary effort, was part of when she came back from maternity leave, she was giving weekends yeah. and, and giving evenings. And I had the same situation where I got to offer a letter with a young lady for a job, and she accepted, and then she called a week later to say that she wasn't going to take it because she was pregnant. And then so, and she went away on maternity leave, and she spoke to me so often throughout her maternity leave to say, I cannot believe you, you gave me this job, despite the fact I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be around you know when i get back i'm really going to make a difference and just the energy and i'm not saying women have to behave that way if they're given the job but i'm just saying in this climate it's a bit amazing that they feel that way when given an opportunity that they have to come back to prove themselves i think it
1: goes back to that personal thing of being feeling like you're being seen when you treat individuals as, as human beings and for example in that situation, like, right okay you're pregnant it's part of life, go away, do what you need to do and come back. Mm-hmm. You have this natural, I want to give back for yep. the opportunity that you have. Yep. And that's why it's listening to you talk and even that experience that you share was because you knew the CEO mm-hmm. and yours is because you've been influenced around family and things like that. But I'm just thinking, how can we, if you're in situations where you don't know the CEO, how do we start to potentially change the way that senior leaders think about women with pregnancies who will be great at their jobs but they don't get opportunities or get turned away from potential opportunities because of that
0: i have a philosophy on this which is we just have to make women in business at the appropriate levels the norm like let's just continue to push Mm. so that it continues to become more and more the norm because if i have female peers you know at board level and exec level part of what comes with that is at some point in time they may to start a family it's it's just normal like it's going to happen right so i don't know that the conditioning is around maternity specifically i think the conditioning is you know you've got an executive team of 12 how many different points of view do you have on that team you need different points of view on that team good points of views come from different types of people including women including ethnic minorities including people who have worked in companies like ours in other parts of the world, mm-hmm. including people who have worked in companies that supply to us or supply to co- I like just get the perspectives around the table mm-hmm. and let gathering those perspectives become a normal. Mm-hmm. And then the other byproducts of having those different perspectives around the table will take care of themselves like Ramadan, right? If you've got mm-hmm. you know, people around the table from that part of society, there's going to be a month where you're going to have to deal with your meetings a little bit differently because of, their you know life commitments all of these things are what come with having diversity and different perspectives around the table so and that's how i think about i'm not deliberate in targeting these micro items i'm deliberate in gathering a variety of perspectives from all walks of life
2: exactly that i mean the conversation i'm having a lot with clients about ed and i is you know ed and i is not one thing it's not a race thing It's actually looking at every facet. It's about looking at social economic disadvantage. It's about looking at fat culture disadvantage. It's about looking at race and sex and all of the other things beyond these little groups. Like if your board doesn't represent your wider business, then there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's as simple as if you've got a thousand people in your business and they are completely diverse and yet your board looks like one type of person with a token woman or brown person or, you know, then you're doing something wrong. It means that the decisions you're making aren't fueled Mm. by the true diversity that your business is trying to actually exemplify or represent. You know, your customer base, your audience base, equally is diverse. Mm. And you look at these progressive brands that are constantly... Evolving and looking at what their management teams and their senior management teams are looking like, and you see how they're thriving. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to start naming them, but, you know, <laughs> but but we, you know, we do know them. We see who is who their spokespeople are, who they're representing, what their board looks like, and it's you see it.
0: Yeah, whenever I get into that like that diversity conversation, it's one that like finds me more often than I'd like it to find me. Right, and we get into that diversity conversation about why diversity is important and I stumbled across my favorite way to describe it which is like innovation every company to some degree needs to innovate some more than others but innovation is at like the core of most successful enterprises Mm -hmm. innovation is the ability to creatively think like consistently creatively think and whoever can convince me that consistent creativity will consistently come from single-minded people. By single-minded, I mean like-minded, right? If all 10 of us think and see the world the same, tell me that that group of 10 will out-innovate 10 people with 10 different frames of reference. Which one of these two groups do you think is gonna innovate more successfully? This one who just sees the world in exactly the same way, or this one who is gonna have an idea, filter it through nine different filters, it won't make it through the other nine filters, because somewhere along the line, somebody will find a flaw in it and then they'll start again. And you'll get an idea that's come through nine or ten different filters over here. And you'll get one that's pretty much only gone through one filter over here. Like, which one of these teams is the most powerful, most likely to innovate successfully? And if you think it's this one, then you need to mix up who's around the table. Mm-hmm. I like that because it takes it away from yeah. you know, how many black people, how many women do we have? Yeah. How many? It takes it away from that and just says, just get, 10 different ways of viewing the world
1: around a cultural ad cultural fit differences and that's the key to it and speaking of innovation i think one of the interesting ways i've seen both of you do that is through the forbes family group which was i was like okay we set up this trust for the family and it kind of reminds me of what i've seen a lot of older wealthier organizations or families, let's say, do from like 100 years ago. (laughs) So I was kind of interested like what was the rationale behind creating the Force Family Group and what are you trying to do
0: with Force Family Group? It's changed a bit since we originally came up with it. And funny thing that was happening to me is as I was becoming more and more successful, my phone was ringing more and more with rich people, sometimes institutions calling and saying, there's a great investment opportunity over here. It's like a pretty much guaranteed 12% return you know, do you want to put some money in it? And a lot of the time I was kind of like, yeah, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> if he's putting his money in too, no worries, I'll do it. And then you get a return back almost always. And I was kind of looking at it and saying, you know, I'm actually not the person that needs this profile of investment because I've got opportunity to invest. I've got opportunity to earn. The person who has saved 10 grand over the last 12 years and would like like, that's the person who needs it. So the original concept was to use Family Group to open up investment opportunities to a network of people, mm-hmm. right? And what I learned is that very, very difficult to do and administrate, right, beyond like your family, you know, because your family will give you money and, and kind of trust you. But people who you know less and less, they want a bit more commitment, they want a bit more administration, they need a bit more of a contractual relationship, the structure of full Family Group has to be such that they feel comfortable putting money in. So that became hard to do, and then you actually should be regulated if you're going to do that kind of thing. So we kind of turned it now to focus more at investing in two ways. So mainly what I call community-based investments, where we find causes that are really close to our heart, right? So B is one of those causes. That's a kind of football organization, a community-based football organization through which a lot of great footballers have come, you know, Ian Wright, Sean Wright Phillips, Casey Palmer, uh, a lot of great footballers, Joe Gomez, has, have come through B because they do amazing work in Lewisham where where we're both from, getting these, getting these, <laughs> <laughs> Lucian's <Lushan, Peckham, like laughs> where people leave Peckham to but come. <laughs> <laughs> but they do amazing community work and we wanted to be part of that so that that program can extend its reach and do a few other things in the community. So we really love that. right? So that's what we call community investing. And then we back actual businesses and actual founders with what people would call underrepresented entrepreneurs. I don't like that term because now we're representing them so no longer (laughs) underrepresented but you know where we find businesses that are good businesses being driven by amazing people who perhaps just don't have the experience or the infrastructure to get to that next level so you know one investment that Davina led is in a kind of local food business Joe Knows Food amazing entrepreneur great cook this lady started this business at home during the pandemic you know cooking a fixed menu weekly and delivering food to people's homes and it just built up momentum and it's got like a fan base and she's oversubscribed every week but a bit of work on accounting and getting the website set up and getting some online ordering going and thinking about menu and pricing i mean these are things that you know are second nature to us but perhaps not to her Mm -hmm. so we get to invest and back a real business that is going to make money and bring our joint experience to really good and immediate use so that's kind of where it's now focused which is a different angle to to how it started What would you like to see it turn into?
2: Well, it's interesting um, because, as Dean said, where it's come from, it's pivoting, it's constantly evolving. And there's also the other element, which is investing in in people. And that's part of our mentorship. We have a programme called Project 10, which we'll be working on the infrastructure for, which is about getting young people who don't necessarily have a clear career path into industries and roles that they wouldn't have access to like when i first started if i'd known when i was 16 that there was a job out there that i could literally talk and get coverage in the newspapers for big brands and make a fortune doing it i would have been in pr like i would literally run the massive pr because that's i took for a living and uh, <laughs> Talk for free. But I mean, I didn't know the other, av- I worked in media planning by an agency. I didn't know when I was 16 from Peckham that there was a job where you sold advertising space for brands for in papers and, and TV and things like that. There are such a plethora of industries that young people don't even know exist, especially from socially disadvantaged. I hate the term as well, dude. But inner city areas, you know, you may have a kid who's a brilliant artist And he's really smart. And he doesn't know that he could be a graphic designer or an illustrator or a product designer because they just don't it's not something that schools feed into. Yeah. And that's what Project Ten is about. If kids are going to uni, they've already got a support structure in place and potentially financial support in space. I mean, going to uni is a, a real privilege, you know what I mean? So There's great grad schemes, but if you're at uni doing a PR degree, you're going to be okay. You're going to get a job in PR. You know, it's going to come for you. When you are 16 or 18, and maybe you've done your GCSEs and your A-levels even, and you don't have that next step to go, and you don't have a support structure to go to, Mm -hmm. to rely on. You don't have a network. You don't have an uncle who does the accountancy for WPP who can get you in there, which is how a lot of people get in in the industry we want to provide a mentorship for them where we have a wonderful network of people who work in so many different industries. So we want to provide mentors for these young people. And then we want to provide internships with companies that would normally only give opportunities to grads and things like that. So leveraging, Dean's network, my network, and actually my client base, I'm sort of strong on all to committing to actually giving these young people six months work experience that will change their entire career trajectory, that will put something on their CV that, you know, is tapping into what they're good at. Like I say, maybe it is that they're just good talkers, you know? Then let's put you in a career. Maybe it's sales. I mean, Dean's career started from sales. And now he's on the power list, and you know one of the best CEOs in the UK in this sector. So, giving young people that a support structure through mentors and through networking opportunity—that yeah. was basically how Dean persuaded me to add co-CEO of Full <laughs> Family Group onto my very very packed plate <laughs> already.
0: It's the platform mm. and the network effect, mm. right? And and if we're investing at Ten and B, we're trying to. Help young people see a different side of life. Mm-hmm. Right, we're trying to help them. We did a school holiday club, Amazing. Where we wanted them to go out and, and see different things and do different activities during the summer holidays. We're doing Project Ten, where we're placing people for six months' work experience, paid as well. We, we, we insist that we insist. you're going to get talent, so you're going to pay. Yeah. You're going to pay these kids, but right? And them support as well. And then if we're investing, where if people want to start businesses or they have businesses, so it's just putting the combined network and experience to good use to give people like us from backgrounds like us more and more opportunities. And it's a lot of fun.
2: And it's great to be able to utilise our network. I think, you know, like Dean said, we're not actually underrepresented. We're just all doing our thing. You know, everybody's out there huffling. But I mean, I know psychology I know lawyers doctors creative agency leaders you know so many amazing people who have come from the same areas gone to the same schools that we all did and we didn't necessarily have that network but we still did it but now we create a platform for the next generation to not have to do it on their
1: own you know it speaks also to when you utilize an influence in the best possible way It's kind of what both of you kind of described isn't it Where you have the influence now it's like okay then let's go behind the scenes and create that infrastructure and that foundation for people to elevate a lot quicker than we did yeah but they can learn from the experiences that we've had combined with even like the change in technology and lifestyle that they have now so they can accelerate even more and then keep on giving back in that cycle which is Absolutely amazing. Like I said, a lot of times when I think about, like, I wish there's so many different things that we have now that were created that How much difference would have made? Because You can see the world in a completely different way than you do
0: now, or you mm-hmm. did then anyway. Like if you've got the influence, that's the way I think about it. You've got the influence, you've got the reach, you've got the network. You know, what would be the point of being on the power list and being able to call 20 people and say, I've got 20 young people who, you know, need an internship. I can call 20 people now and say. I need you to take this kid for six months because he's a great kid. He just needs six months exposure. I can make that call. So how could I not? Mm. Do, you, do you know what I mean? Like, how could we not like like do that? Because we're in a position to. So how could we not?
1: One of the things that I like talking to leaders about, especially both of you, it's around how do you look after yourselves? Because as you're mother, husband, CEO, entrepreneur, leader, doing all so many different things. The key to all of that is you. So how do you both look after yourselves from a, whether it's a day-to-day daily habits you're doing, or I'm curious to learn. (laughs) How do I look after myself?
0: Badly. <laughs> I, was,
2: I was wondering how it is a,
0: you're gonna go. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's definitely a work in progress. <laughs> the dean can try harder uh, area. Um I get a lot of fulfillment out of working. Like I really enjoy my work. I really enjoy looking back on and seeing how things have progressed. So I'm a recovering workaholic. <laughs> um I run. I like to run, I like to ride my bike cardio is where I get a bit of reprieve. And family, like we spend a lot of time together each other's out. Like we've literally grown up together our whole life. So we're still very social around each other, but I'm not very good at looking after myself.
2: I was gonna say he's such a nerd all he does his work. He's <laughs> <laughs> such a nerd but, <laughs> I practice yoga. I'm a qualified yoga teacher. So that's meditation, mindfulness, yoga movement is a massive part of how I maintain myself, how I maintain balance. Yoga is very much a spiritual practice for me. It's not an exercise. So that keeps me connected with myself. And that's a a huge part of how I sustain my very sort of busy life. I drink huge amounts of water from a very basic point of view. It's a game changer. And I sleep well because I meditate. So everything is intrinsically linked for me personally to that. But I also fill my life with people, like people at energy. And I've got so many amazing people in my life. And I'm incredibly busy socially, as well as um, professionally. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's laughing. <laughs> but no, I, and, and it's incredible the amount of people that I managed to fit in to my life. But I just, that's to me, the legacy of life is the people we touch, the memories we make. So yeah, that's how I, I start. I'm, I'm trying to find day. silence. I live in gratitude.
0: Davina's um, yeah, gravitating towards people. I'm trying to find. <laughs> de- de- need the tide <laughs> de- And I'm, I'm just to hide yeah. and, and put my phone on airplane mode.
2: <laughs> exactly. It's so funny as well because we are like in so many ways the opposite. The opposite. Yeah. <laughs> you started a uh, yoga practice, didn't you? I teach yoga on an evening of a week. I've created a space that is very different to a lot of the yoga studio yoga environments. I actually do it out of the 10 and B site, which is a beautiful building, that they've, it's a beautiful hall, and yeah, I allow a group of women to come together and breathe and meditate and move, and it gives me a huge amount of pleasure to see that, to get them to be present in themselves and have a, that moment of that 75 minutes of
1: gratitude and presence, it's, yeah, it's really special. See, I, I've got so many questions I want to delve into. But we're running out of time. So I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm going to ask two last questions actually. One, relationship between both of you. Those who don't know, how are you related?
2: First cousins.
1: Yes, my, my cousin. We're,
2: we're first cousins. Our dads are dead to brothers. I was a Forbes. I'm. Still am, by blood, but not by name. Dean was very upset about this. He had a whole <laughs> conversation with my husband. Like, my husband, we've been together, like, 25 years, my husband and I. Uh, we've been married for 12. And Dean's like, you're really giving up your surname? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I am. But to be fair, I've still kept it on a few that. <laughs> but, yeah, no, we have born... I mean, our dads are brothers, but our mums ensured that we were as close as. I mean, sleepovers. I mean, we got... Um, Discipline Discipline together I was trying to find a word
0: Sternly Sternly I know what that yeah, means Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've, yeah. Uh, we've had we We've started, had Two other girls. Yeah like Yeah a There's a
2: good group of us Basically But yeah We raved And we we're very close in age And our friendship groups Always crossed over But we've always been, but we've always been Very been, very close Yeah we, He's my Favourite
0: some record. I
2: was going to say I've got nine cousins about to text me.
0: <laughs> like, that in, what? Keep that in. What? Do not, what? do not, do not edit that. So done.
2: <laughs> I was going to, I was actually going to say something else, but then I thought, oh no, keeping the professional. Truth, the truth came out. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, we are exceptionally close, right. and I, you know, Dean's wife is, is actually one of my best friends as well. Mm. We've all, and we've been basically as two couples. My husband and Dean and his wife have been literally together since, like, 98.
1: Like... Okay, the last question is how do you define
0: leadership? The ability to get others to participate in the cause with, you know, high motivation, full willingness and with complete choice. So if you can get people to wake up early every day or or wake up whenever, you know, jump out of bed, throw themselves into a cause because they like it, they believe in it, they want to do it, then you're probably a good leader.
2: I think it's about being intentional and actually doing the things that need to be done. I think that's um, how I define leadership. It's about having a, a very strong intention about what you want to achieve and doing what it takes to get there and taking other people with you is actually the difference between, I suppose, doing it for yourself and actually doing it as a leader, taking other people on your journey.
1: So many quotables in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> now, I really wanted to say thank you for your time. Really enjoyed it. Like I said, there were so many areas I just wanted to like go further into, but we didn't have time. But... Just What you shared, I know, is going to make such a massive difference and areas we've explored. So, thank you, and thank you for what you're doing with FFB as well. That giving back and giving that foundation is it makes all the difference, and sometimes that's what people just need, isn't it? So, really appreciate it. So, I love seeing things like that being created, especially in this country. So, thank you, awesome. for thank having you, for,
2: us. thank you for having us.
1: It's been great. Thank glad you, you enjoyed it. <laughs> Everyday leadership.